This is episode 138 of IDRA Class Notes. There are increasing challenges because the percentage of English language learners in our schools today continue to rise. And so the need for good teacher preparation and teacher professional development continues to increase. Absolutely. And I think to make programs and policies, it's the leadership level that really needs to step up to the plate and really needs to ensure that these things are happening at all levels in their school. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us once again. We are so happy to have with us Kristen Grayson, but we have a different Kristen Grayson with us. The last time I talked to Kristen, she was Ms. Kristen Grayson, and today she is Dr. Kristen Grayson. Kristen, I want to congratulate you and say a yahoo for you on this occasion of having gotten your doctorate degree. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Scott, for your encouragement and for your accolades. Thank you again. Well, now listen, uh, this is going to require a lot more of you today. We're talking about bilingual and ESL education in our public schools. Challenges, changes, opportunities, what is really going on? And so I'm going to ask you really to give us some, uh, share with us some of your insights about the, I don't know if I want to really say status of bilingual education and ESL education in our public schools, but what it looks like, what it's all about. So I guess my first question to you in a very broad and general way, Kristen, if I may call you Kristen, is just what are we talking about? These terms, bilingual and ESL, come up. Well, both programmatic programs, bilingual programs or English as a second language programs have the same purpose, and that is is to bring students to proficiency in English. Bilingual education also implies bringing them to a certain level of proficiency in their native language, and depending on the bilingual program, it could be not even a full proficiency in that native language. However, the bilingual programs are structured so that the native language is improved and is built to a firm foundation on which English as a second language can be learned. So, Kristen, why do we have this need for these programs? I mean, I thought we were just supposed to be speaking English, or at least... That's what people are saying. I hear it everywhere. You know, we speak English in America. What is this all about? Well, it's true. In public schools, we do speak English. Now, there's two things I want to talk about in this regards. Number one, a lot of teachers and the public may think certain children are already proficient in English because they sound proficient. But actually, there's sort of two groups of words that we use. We have social language, which Jim Cummins refers to as our basic interpersonal communication skills. And then we have our academic language that comes from Greek and Latin sources that really is a subset of very specific words that we use in school. And a lot of students never use those words at home and only use them when they're taught in school. 
So they sound very proficient on the playground, in the street, at the stores, and so on. The other reason we need to talk about this topic today is that, yes, all students need to speak and read and write and understand in English. However, it just doesn't happen automatically, and that's why we have programs. Now, many teachers tell me, and I do a lot of training in the field, as you know, Dr. Scott, many teachers tell me, well, it's just good teaching. Ideally, that phrase would mean that our students would become proficient in English. However, it doesn't really just happen by just giving good teaching unless you know that the second language, or third in some situations, are learned with the brain going back to the first language. So that is the theoretical difference, that is the understanding that teachers need to understand when they make modifications to their teaching, when they try to bring up the linguistic students of the skill, is regardless of their level of proficiency in their first language, the brain will always refer back to what is already known in the first language. So that you move from the known to the unknown. Right. In that first language, you go back to that first language, that is what is known. You use that, I guess, as a springboard into that second language? Exactly. Okay, okay. Just like in other content areas, good teaching talks about accessing students' prior knowledge right. or student experiences. So in other words, you're tapping into their linguistic base. So, uh, Kristen, being in the Director of the Equity Assistance Center, I'm very familiar with the challenges uh, that there may be created for schools under Title VI of the Civil Rights Act and the national origin part of that, that act of non-discrimination. I'm also aware, if we go back to the early 70s, I don't know, 1973, 1974, the uh, Supreme Court decision on Laos began to lay out what are the rights of students whose first language is not English to have access, non-discriminatory access, and to have the access to school and curriculum not abridged because of their language or linguistic differences, because that's 40 years ago. Where is that today? Well, unfortunately, a lot of teachers forgot about it or have never been made aware of it. You know, there's staff turnover, people retire, move on to other things. And so it's something we always have to go back to and remind people about exactly why the Lao decision ties into civil rights and the national origin of civil rights. Mm -hmm. Because it's providing access and guaranteeing that students have the means by which to become successful students and therefore successful citizens. So, Kristen, what are the challenges we're facing today to guarantee exactly what you just said? And what are the rights not only of students but their parents? Well, let me say two things about that. The first thing I'd like to say, there are increasing challenges because the percentage of English language learners in our schools today continue to rise. And so the need for good teacher preparation and teacher professional development continues to increase. Absolutely. The other thing is that parents who do not speak English 
need to understand their rights in regards to their status as being non-English speakers. First of all, I always tell teachers to tell the parents, please strengthen your native language in the home, whether you read or not, read to your children, tell stories, look at picture books, talk to them, have them talk back, and improve their foundation in the native language. The other thing is that parents need to know that schools have an obligation to provide them as best possible, and there's some great online resources to make this possible for those smaller language groups to provide trained and knowledgeable translators, that's the written language, and interpreters, that would be the spoken word. And never, ever, ever are students such as siblings or the student themselves allowed to be the translator or the interpreter for school business. So then schools really have a responsibility to make sure that they are opening up opportunities and doors for parents whose first language is not English to participate fully in yes, the exactly. uh, education of their children and to expect that uh, the schools are going to do what is necessary to make those things happen. Is that what I'm exactly, hearing you say? Exactly right. Oh, Kristen, let's talk a little bit also about concerns that you as a professional may have around the challenges that some schools, some teachers may not be stepping up to with regards to ensuring that kids whose first language is not English really do have access to challenging curriculum, good teaching by qualified teachers who can converse with them, provide instruction in a language they can understand, leaders who want to make sure the environment is accepting and inclusive of these linguistically different learners in their midst. What are some of the challenges you're still seeing out in the world? Because you do a lot of professional development. You find yourself in a lot of places. And I know our time is getting short, but can you share some of your concerns or some of your observations? Well, the need right now is so, so great. And I think to make programs and policies happen at the school level, you touched on it, it's the leadership level that really, really needs to step up to the plate and really needs to ensure that these things are happening at all levels in their school. It's going to take work. We've been working a long time, but there's a lot of work left to be done. So I noticed that you participated in a uh, statewide multicultural conference in one of our uh, states, Oklahoma, in fact, and I know that um, Sylvia Mendez was yes. the keynote speaker. Why was that important that she was there as a keynote speaker? It was really important because for new teachers, for young people, there were high school students, college students, teachers of all grades and content, for administrators. To see Sylvia Mendez, to see the face of a very historic case, hear her personal experiences and the experiences of her family as they fought for civil rights before it was even mandated by law. 
it just was so inspiring for the group of educators and families in the room. I would imagine. And given that this is the 60th anniversary of the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision, that appellate court decision that uh, Sylvia's family was involved in in California as a precursor to that, I, I think it strikes another important tone. Uh, we know that Latinos are the fastest growing population in our nation, and to have this uh, consideration of language or linguistic difference becoming more forefront, I think, is one of the important, powerful uh, legacies that uh, we are still uh, dealing with in today's world and as we move forward. I would hope that our listeners, as they think about and ponder the importance of bilingual education and the ESL in our public schools, uh, will also think about the fact that we have, as you have already said, more and more of these students in schools and classrooms, not only in pockets of the United States, but all over the nation. I would remind our listeners also that we do have part of the website on the Brown versus Board of Education, as well as the Mendez cases that they can access for more background information. Listen, Kristen, our time has gone entirely too quickly. I want to thank you for being with me today. Thank you, too. And for talking about this very important issue, we do have to do some more stepping up to make sure and to guarantee every learner, regardless of the language he or she speaks, at full access to good curriculum so that he and she can excel and achieve in our public schools and successfully go on to college. Thank you, Kristen. You have to also promise that, that you'll You're come welcome. back. You're welcome. I will come back, and I'll be out there working in the field. Thank you again, Dr. Scott. Thank you, Dr. Grayson. And thank all of you for being with us. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you the next time. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.